0: vaccine war and its impact on lower income countries rich countries have repeatedly recognized the need to guarantee access to covid-19 vaccines all around the world there is however the issues of vaccine hoarding and the gigantic purchasing options of rich countries versus lower income countries google it nobody is safe until everyone is safe an india and south africa proposal that patents against covid-19 be liberalized was not approved during the wto meeting despite the majority support of the organization's member countries. The proposal would have suspended other intellectual property rights as well, but the main area of contention between rich and poor countries was the vaccine war. Between November and March, rich countries have repeatedly recognized G20 in Abu Dhabi and G7 in Geneva, the need to guarantee access to vaccines for all. Very popular almost 84 million results in a Google search, is the statement, nobody is safe until everyone is safe. However, the stability of the percentage of vaccinations carried out in the first 10 countries 75.5% of total vaccinations, which rises to 83.3% if one considers the first 15, may give rise to doubts about its impact on concrete actions, and this is confirmed by the WTO debate. In this debate, rich countries have entrenched themselves behind two arguments, one general research and innovation assume the guarantee and protection of intellectual property rights, and the other specific a possible suspension would not necessarily lead to increase the vaccine supply this last argument shamelessly ignores the vaccine hoarding and the gigantic purchasing options of rich countries it has been often mentioned that canada has made commitments that would allow to vaccinate almost five times its population but this case is not unique for example italy whose population is about 60 million has signed agreements to receive by the end of 2022 40 million AstraZeneca doses, 65.8 Pfizer, 26.6 Johnson & Johnson, 40.4 Sanofi, 29.9 Kurovats, and 39.8 Moderna. Estimated cost, according to Ms. de Bleecker in an accidental publication of the list of prices, three months ago, would be $2.5 billion, but since then some prices have increased. This cost is 1% of the recovery fund granted to Italy by the European Union and would represent about the 10% of sub-Saharan countries' total GNP. An Associated Press note of one month ago underscored that the different prices paid by different countries depend on local production costs and size of the order and that the often-announced statement that poor countries might pay less may have been wishful thinking. Maria Chang and Lori Hinnant, March 1. Another argument is that only rich countries would be able to produce vaccines this is plainly false. In Latin America, vaccines are produced in Brazil, a country against liberalization, in Cuba, and by an alliance between Argentina and Mexico. Moreover, Dominican Republic claimed to be able to produce them, but its request was ignored despite being a request that foresaw a payment to access a know-how covered by IP rights. Something similar occurred in Asia, where there are two major producing countries, one of which is India, promoter of the liberalization. In Bangladesh, a local vaccine producer company, Incepta, would have been ready to pay a fair price to have the possibility of producing a vaccine and also in this case the proposal has been ignored. This does not mean that pharmaceutical companies exclude external production, but they prefer to negotiate the conditions case by case, and apparently what they can obtain in advanced countries is more profitable, also because it is accompanied by substantial purchase options. This is justified with a variety of arguments, but the bottom line is that sharing this knowledge is not convenient for the companies. Thus, the request of Médecins Sans Frontières, prior to the WTO March meeting, and the statement of the Director of Health Policies of Oxfam International were ignored, according to which rich countries are vaccinating one person per second actually more, but the image is striking, while those with fewer resources receive a few tens of thousands of doses. The issue will be discussed again by the WTO in April but it is difficult to share the new Director General's optimism about the possibility that manufacturers will sit down with the World Health Organization or the Gavi Vaccine Alliance, of which before being appointed WTO Director General, she was President and reached an agreement that would allow the millions of people waiting with bated breath that these discussions have finally led to a solution. Something similar had already been proposed by the Secretary General of the United Nations who also included among the relevant actors the governments, since they would be able to impose liberalization. Probably, the governments of rich countries were naive when they supported significantly the research that eventually led to the vaccines without a better guarantee than certain rights of preference for future purchases. Unfortunately, what many people think, that this large use of public money should imply that vaccines are a public good, is not shared by the big companies. Thus, governments are facing a dilemma, to respect the interests of pharmaceutical companies that often have their headquarters or production sites in their own countries refraining from using the legal rights they may have to impose a liberalization, or to take actions to stop the pandemic in less wealthy countries. The latter decision would be justified by the indirect economic damage foreseen for the medium term. Its extent would indeed make convenient to suspend intellectual property rights, even if a substantial compensation had to be recognized to pharmaceutical companies. In principle this would be convenient to everybody, because the estimated impact on the world economy of this pandemic is much larger than the maximum expected gain of the pharmaceutical industries, even if the entire world population were vaccinated. Moreover, recognizing as a priority a mass vaccination in the lower-income countries would reduce the risk of the spread of new mutations of the virus that eventually would reach and strike the richest countries. But perhaps this is not considered to be bad news by the producers. In this context, the decision of rich countries seems to have been to protect the interests of the big companies, even if this is achieved indirectly, putting under the rug the need of a worldwide vaccination and affirming the priority of vaccinating their own citizens. In this way, the attention is shifted to the issue of vaccine safety and neglects the fact that inequalities in vaccinations and their delay in less wealthy countries will contribute to the increase in insecurity and the risk of future infections. The recent suspension of the AstraZeneca vaccine in many European countries is an example of this shift. The facts are known. A number of deaths and thrombosis in some cases of a rare type led several European countries to suspend the application of AstraZeneca vaccines. These decisions were taken despite the fact that, according to the European Medicines Agency EMA and WHO, there was no evidence of a connection of these cases with the vaccination and despite the absolute statistical irrelevance of the data. Even assuming the confirmation of such a connection, the risk of dying from an adverse case of vaccination would still be largely lower than that of dying from COVID-19. This conclusion, incontrovertible at global level, does not change except for the different assessment of how much the risk would be lower if distinctions are made according to age and gender. In the specific case of thrombosis, according to data from the first 21 million vaccination in Great Britain, with comparable numbers of Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccinations around 10 million, Pfizer being more, at about 10%, the observed cases of pulmonary embolism and lack of platelets are in the same number, while those of deep vein thrombosis are greater in the case of AstraZeneca, but in any case, they are not greater than the normal incidence. Eventually, after Emma confirmed the absence of any proven correlation between the adverse cases observed and vaccinations, AstraZeneca vaccination was resumed but one cannot ignore that irrational hasty decisions can generate emotional reactions in the population potentially more dangerous for the public health. Certainly, more studies on these adverse cases will be welcome, for example to understand the gender and age effects in German cases, but the vaccination campaign cannot be and indeed is not being stopped and the population must be reassured. But, if the basis of those suspensions was not a necessary precaution, how can they be explained? A first explanation could be that it was a reaction of the major European countries to the delays of AstraZeneca in the delivery of doses purchased, but delays in cuts in supplies have also been announced by other manufacturers. It is possible that at least a catalyst for these decisions may be found in the vaccine war and vaccine diplomacy. The emotional reactions we were talking about, if stimulated thanks to social media and a wise distribution of news, can give rise to distinctions between vaccines, favoring some over others thus creating the conditions for making those kinds of decisions. The a priori acceptance of whatever decision Emma would have taken, announced by Italian Prime Minister Draghi was a guarantee that Italy would not be influenced in its decisions by other assessments than scientific ones. However, some reflections are appropriate. AstraZeneca is a British company, and the research that led to the vaccine are from the University of Oxford. After Brexit, they are not European, while the German company BioNTech associated with the Pfizer vaccine, is European, as is the French company Sanofi, which after suspending its research, received a license to produce the Pfizer vaccine. It is true that several AstraZeneca production laboratories, such as the one in Palmesia, Italy, are located in Europe, but agreements are being made to make Pfizer production possible in European countries that have not done so until now. Moreover, Frequent problems are arising about the commercialization of the European AstraZeneca production, the last of which was the discovery of 29 million doses which the company states were due to the COVAX project 45%, and to Europe 55%, whereas doubt has been expressed that they were intended to be sent to the UK which badly need them for its vaccination campaign. The adverse cases recorded in Europe may have contributed to the decision to suspend the use of AstraZeneca vaccines, but it cannot be excluded that, to some extent, a commercial fight has at least made more attractive a decision that indicates that in forthcoming European vaccination policies, a major role may be played by geopolitics. This finds some confirmation in the discussion about the possible production and in the rejection of use of the Russian Sputnik V vaccine. Similar comments apply also to what is happening crossing the Atlantic where the FDA approval of AstraZeneca in the United States is experiencing long delays compared to those of Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. It is true that there have been technical explanations, but it does not seem to be excluded that there might have been also political reasons reflecting a change in the priorities of American foreign policy. The previous administration had contributed to finance to a significant extent the British vaccine $1.2 billion, while so far, the new one had not even considered the possibility of sending to other countries the doses of AstraZeneca already purchased not used due to the lack of FDA authorization despite that it would have been politically rewarding, looking at the post-pandemic relations, since many of those countries are turning to Chinese and Russian vaccines. In this respect, the news that the United States will lend to Mexico 2.5 million doses of AstraZeneca should not be overestimated. The official justification has been the cross-border control of the pandemic, and indeed another 1.5 million doses should be lent to Canada. However, despite denials... That decision does not seem to be independent from the Mexican commitment to counteract the flow of Central American immigrants and receive families deported under the U.S. emergency health order. The business of vaccines is gigantic and also exposed to short-term speculation for the discrete volatility of the shares of the producing companies. In this regard, it may be interesting to compare the value of the shares of the Western companies mentioned and an Indian company that has actively participated in the testing of the Russian vaccine. These are shown in the following table comparing the value on March 25th with that on November 2nd, set equal to 1. It also shows the maximum value of the stocks during these 6 months. Manufacturer November 2nd March 25th Maximum Value Moderna 67 US dollars and 11 cents 1.978 2.771 BioNTech 87 US dollars and 10 cents 1.091 1.487 Pfizer 34 US dollars and 32 cents 1.0401.24 Johnson & Johnson 138 US dollars and 69 cents one point one six six one point two two nine AstraZeneca GBX 7774 0. 0.917 1.13, Dr. Ready 4858 Indian rupees and 65 0.902 To date, almost 500 million people have been vaccinated, and this is only in the first phase of worldwide vaccination. The potential pool is 15 times larger. AstraZeneca, whose vaccine is less expensive, is a dangerous competitor. Faced with the vastness of the potential market, It is understandable that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is reassuring about the quality of AstraZeneca and that European politicians emphasize that of the vaccines produced in Europe, commenting half-heartedly that AstraZeneca would be unsafe for older people. It is perhaps less understandable that the U.S. is underestimating the decision to lend vaccines to Mexico does not change this judgment, a possible loss of its world influence with the strengthening of those of China and Russia, unless, of course, these political drawbacks are valued less than the promotion of U.S.-made vaccines. The fact that geopolitics is the key to interpreting many of these problems, and that the use of occasional data on adverse cases is often marginal or instrumental, would seem to be confirmed by the failure of India to supply Great Britain with 5 million doses of AstraZeneca and the threat by President van der Leiden to use Article 122 of the European Treaties. One cannot but be struck by the contrast between this threat of suspension of intellectual property rights and the closed position of European countries in the WTO. Will the countries of fewer resources succeed to influence the rich countries through interruptions in supplies or pressure in international organizations and thus get the recognition that a suspension of intellectual property rights of vaccines is legitimized by its world scope and not only because of internal problems within the community of rich countries? There will be a new answer in April when. At WTO, rich countries will have a new opportunity, of concreting in actions their verbal commitments, not only in order to respond to the demand of those with fewer resources, but also to avoid that the trust in the international bodies is shaken. Then, when the pandemic will be over, it will be seen who won and who lost in the geopolitical clashes over the vaccine. But the price of these cannot be paid with the lives of the citizens of countries with fewer resources. Beruz Piruz co-authored this article. Hashtag Rebuilding Travel.